Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. It's a very tense time here, not only because we watched three episodes of The Ambassadors of Death, but we're, yes? Episodes three, four, and five. That's right, three, four, and five. The middle episodes, if you will, the flyover episodes. I don't <laughs> think so. I think they're rather entertaining. Uh, but we're now recording this in the intermission, the overtime intermission of game seven of the second round series between the St. Louis Blues and the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I have to say that if there's a Doctor Who story uh, to be watched with uh, Game 7 on the other television, this is probably not the worst one, because there were definitely some, some filler moments in these episodes. Running, I'm, I'm going to run around and turn random knobs at the uh, fuel factory. Yeah. And, uh, oh, a car chase where I'm going to completely zone out. I literally zoned out during that car chase. You did. I know. I saw her. So, suddenly I was just like, whoa, where have I been for the last mm. like minute? I didn't know. No, well, I mean, the cars just sort of like went along the road and then they were chasing. There weren't any, there were no turns. Mm -hmm. There were no uh, divergence down a corner, any any chance that basically the car cut up to Bessie and mm -hmm. and um, Liz then almost went over the dam and the cliffhanger. Damn it. Yeah. I just like, what do you think about Liz driving the Bessie though? Oh, that was cool. I was like, good for her. Like yeah. she's taking the car. I mean- I'm not, a, as we've just discussed, I'm not a big Bessie fan, but I like no. the fact that she just takes the doctor's mm. car. I love, this is what I love about season seven. And one thing that I don't like about what comes after in, in a way, and that season seven uh, is the first and only time really where the companion, quote unquote, is like a member of the team. You got mm. the doctor, the brig and Liz. Yeah. Like she's an equal member. Like she's, mm -hmm. she's, yeah, of course she's going to drive the car. Why wouldn't she drive the car? You know, you wouldn't think of any other assistant sort of think, yeah, I'll take Bessie out. But no, it's not even a concern. Of course she's going to drive. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then also how, like, like there's a scene there when they're after they, they go to the, the wherever the uh, astronauts uh, were being held and then they kill those two scientists, the laboratory, mm -hmm. and they're busy just, you know, the doctor's sort of looking at the uh, things. You know, Liz, do you have those... Um, uh, the the radiation report yeah. basically, and she brings it over, and she's just you know they're just talking like two scientists, yeah. not doctor and companion, mm -hmm. and I like how they frame it because you know Liz instead of asking you know the doctor what's that she she's basically saying but that's this mm -hmm. isn't it like it's a good way of bringing it across to the audience who don't necessarily know, but not making it sound like she's stupid and needs the doctor to explain it to her. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mm -hmm. just like they're, they're colleagues and yeah. it's, it's fun to watch. And I mean, really she is, she has the same sort of, savvy strength as the doctor too because they're separated for a while and you know she's she's locked up with Cyril Shaps. Yeah, Cyril Shaps. Is this the first time we've seen him? Second time. He was oh. equally neurotic in Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, of course. Of course. Oh my God. How could I forget that? <laughs> How could you? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, but she not only manages to escape and then like I knew she was when she was flagging down a car, I was like, this is going to go badly. This is going to be somebody that she doesn't want to see in mm -hmm. the car. And sure enough, it was. Um, That's the Malcolm Hulk action cycle at work. Big, yep. big thing to have her escape and then just be brought immediately back. Yep. But then, you know, she doesn't give up and she manages to talk Cyril Shapps into into Dr. Lennox Lennox whatever he's Cyril Shaps uh, <laughs> into escaping and sort of doing the work for her and like you know she she comes at it from multiple angles too she, and she sort of uh, points out that he's involved in murder mm -hmm. that uh, that he she assures him that he can get prote protective custody although it turns out that doesn't work out so well um, she uh, is kind about it but then she gets you know mean about it like mm -hmm. you know 
ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you go, Liz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards where she's, uh, you know, um, after they find out that uh, Cyril Shapps has, has got away and that, you know, um, Regan, who we'll get to later, uh, sort of like has his main thug. I think they get like a main thug. There's three different main thugs, one in each episode. Um, and uh, how he pulls her away and stuff. And he goes, you know, and Liz goes, don't worry, I won't hurt you. Which oh, I thought was a great line. That was amazing. That moment was so good. I just want, like, I want that as my screensaver with sound. I don't know. Ringtone? Yeah, sure. That Actually, that would, that would be awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't like her hat, though. That was a terrible hat. The hat that the that Regan was wearing when he's running around the fuel yeah. section was was much better. Well, he was in disguise as a as a mechanic. Yeah, right. Yeah, she was in disguise as a weird scarecrow. The big white hat, you mean? Yeah, it was just I don't like that hat. I mean, I love hats in Doctor yeah. Who in general. That is not a good hat. That it, is a terrible hat. It matched the boots at least. No, only in color. But like in style, those are those are some banging boots, and that hat was not like it. No, I didn't. I just no. But I understand why they did it, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed to have a stunt person hiding their face, so you needed a wide, sort of floppy brimmed hat. Yep. Yep. And it, you know, it worked for that. It did. Uh, they other action scenes in that. You know, she did herself. She didn't. She didn't go over the pier, over the da- uh, dam. The railing, basically, for the cliffhanger at the end of episode three. But she did do other uh, action sequences and running around and stuff, all while she's like three months pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> because 1970. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And in those boots, although they, they weren't like stilettos or anything. No. They were They had high heels, but they were big, you know, clunky heels. Mm-hmm. I, I used to have some boots like that. I liked them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Carolyn John was, was pregnant at this time time and i think it was a mutual decision for her to leave the show because of that so mm-hmm. but yeah but she's still running around mm-hmm. kicking ass um solving problems mm-hmm. being great yeah because you know being pregnant doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop doing everything i mean sometimes it does mm-hmm. and when it does then you should do that but but yeah the the idea that just because a woman is pregnant suddenly she becomes this delicate flower mm-hmm. who needs to be hidden and away from and coddled uh, hidden away from the world and no mm-hmm. that's not a thing not carolyn john one of the great companions ever in doctor who i love her she's great yeah yeah liz is fantastic I, they, there were multiple times where i was just like okay this is this is good even just just little just just little she's doing her job mm-hmm. type things even before she got uh got kidnapped like she's you know uh, discovering the radiation in the in the capsule yep. and working with the doctor and and all that kind of stuff and then and then yeah the matter of fact way like you know we're supposed to go meet the brig to look at these bodies the doctor's like how morbid which is nice that's yeah. a nice touch um and then she's just like there's not even a question she's like are you coming she doesn't say should we go yeah or anything like that. She's just like, I'm going to go. What are you going yeah. to do? We're equals, dude. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, no, I'm going to stay here and get the uh, capsule going. Okay. And then she leaves with Bessie to tie yep. it back into our earlier discussion. Like mm-hmm. so much trust and respect mm-hmm. amongst the scientists and those two best friends. Mm-hmm. I even like the doctor just fine mm-hmm. in these in these three episodes. He's very, you know, sort of a, a cool customer under pretty much all circumstances. Mm-hmm. He's got his eye on people. He doesn't trust Taltalian, which of course is a wise thing because mm-hmm. he was clearly in on in on more than he said. Like we still here at the end of episode five don't know what's going on, which is which is kind of nice. Um, like I said, it, it felt 
padded in places, mm-hmm. but for the like I think they've still done a pretty good job of keeping it, you know, mysterious and interesting. Mm-hmm. Because you know there there are enough layers to WTF is happening that it's uh it's not too like I don't feel like I already know what's going on and I'm like okay great now now what the what's the runaround going to be for the next two episodes it's going to be <laughs> no there, there are actually still things to reveal in the next couple episodes and and the doctor's in freaking space now yeah he goes up to space and it looks like he's getting attacked by a giant what'd you call it uh space lips that's that's what it was at the end of the episode. Uh, cliffhanger is giant space lips mm-hmm. attacking the Doctor's capsule. The end of episode five. After mm-hmm. going through some really bad G-force stress in the uh, in the takeoff, and you know, you, I guess you got to have John Pertwee gurning at some point in every story. Yeah. Is that a is that a rule? They blew like a high pressure like air blower on his face <laughs> during that. Like, I wondered how they achieved yeah. that because I was like, wow, that's actually pretty impressive how are they doing it okay that makes sense yeah for that one shot he was acting there obviously because he had to do dialogue and stuff but yeah that's uh that's where that one shot came from uh can i talk about regan as played by william dysart who appears in this story in episode three he's the main henchman who's sort of like in the in the lab there and goes off and uh he is what if what if i say no you just said can i talk about him can i Okay, fine. Do you like him? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've, I, like, I didn't have any strong feelings one way or the other. He's, he's decent. Yeah, he's fine. He's one of my favorite uh, thug characters and actors to play thug characters in Doctor Who. There's, there's a sort of holy. I wouldn't even say Trinity. I think there's four of them, and two of them are in the same story. And I'm not telling you which ones are which until, oh until we come across them. But uh, uh, I just love his performance. I love the character. How he's just a very like I'm following orders, but like you know he still has his own self interest and stuff. Like he's thinking, oh wow, I can go into Fort Knox. He just it's a very natural performance too. And and he flings himself against a wall with reckless abandon when he gets hit by the uh, astronaut when he goes in there um, mm. to help him back up on the thing after the radiation falls in episode three. So um, yeah, I, I really like watching him in this story. <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's he's good. It's 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 interesting. Like at first, I thought he was just going to be the heavy, mm-hmm. and you know he's on the phone with whoever's giving him feeding him orders. Um, but then, yeah, it seems like he's more in charge, sort of a little bit as as we go. He's actually giving orders, coming up with his own plans. You know, calling and threatening Liz's life to the mm-hmm. doctor, which totally backfires. But yeah. you know, he's got that idea. And then I thought it was kind of um, funny that when he comes back he just starts spewing information about them just mm-hmm. because you know Liz and uh, Cyril Shapps ask about it and uh, and at first I was like okay that doesn't make sense but then the way like his performance actually totally made it make sense because he was so excited about this new weapon mm-hmm. that he's got like you know he was like a little kid bragging about how and bullets yeah. just you know bounce off them and the Fort Knox thing and, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So so yeah, for like a split second I was like, Oh God, this is this is bad writing because <laughs> suddenly he's spilling the entire plan, uh, like a James Bond villain. Mm-hmm. But no, nope, it was perfectly perfectly in character and it made and it made good sense. He like he, he doesn't really have anybody else around nope. to uh to joyously chat with about mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. Like, cause he can't with his other heavy heavy dudes like the his second in command, uh, seconds in command, yeah. since, you, like you said, there are multiple ones, because those guys are just very clearly giant meat sacks. Um, but, <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, so then here are these other intelligent people who will recognize the capabilities and the possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, he prattles on. I, I know because he's a, he just discovered what they can do as well. So he's just as excited mm-hmm. by this new discovery. Yeah. What I love is that every time he goes out and comes back in, it seems like he's wearing an even nicer suit each time. <laughs> like, what does he do when he goes out? He's just like, I'm going to go put on an even nicer suit. He was kind of like a boutonniere in one, mm-hmm. one, uh, one shot, which I thought was quite good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I quite adore him. Every time he learns something new about the capabilities of, of these things, he's like, oh, I'm going to make even more money. So mm-hmm. he buys himself a nicer suit. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Headcanon. Yeah. Not buying that thing on layaway. Um, oh, what else? We watched three episodes, so it feels like we're cramming in a lot, which we kind of are, but... Uh, but um... You want to talk about the actual, like, suits? The... The, the seemingly the, the the suits that we don't know what what's in them at this point but apparently are aliens radio high radiation aliens yep. yeah they subsist on lots and lots of rads mm-hmm. every time they said rads it was like rad dude yeah. and then the music that they have that little uh um trippy sort of space music that you thought intriguing for the first 20 seconds and then got annoyed by it, well, it just, it went over and over and over and over again. At first I was like, oh yeah, this is better. This is like spacey music. This isn't 70s dentist <laughs> office elevator <laughs> porn music. Right. This is this is like kind of semi-trippy spacey music, mm-hmm. which while the timpani was playing over, it was quite effective. But it still was over and over and over again. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know it does go on. But the, I mean, as I said before, this is the last time where Doctor Who has had pre recorded music before they made the story so basically Dudley Simpson had okay I gotta compose a theme for this a theme for that theme for that and they'll play it in whenever and if they need it for longer then that's just what they'll do and so that's just what they did (laughs) yes it is yeah um but I think so far the uh the suits themselves the spacesuits with whatever in them Mm -hmm. are very effective yeah yeah like the the just the shot of it, the one walking down the road toward the guard, um, Max Faulkner. Yes, you mentioned him <laughs> when he came on. Stuntman slash actor, so you know when you see him, kind of like Terry Walsh, that oh, he's going to say a couple lines and then he's going to die horribly. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that was that was very cool looking. You know, just sort of like you know walking down this road all by itself, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, it's creepy, man. Did it remind you of anything that shot, that particular shot? He asked so he could tell you. Go ahead and tell me because I can't think of any anything. Both stories were directed by Michael Ferguson and uh, it was almost an exact duplicate of a shot where the where an ice warrior is walking outside towards the camera with the sun in behind him. You just sort of <laughs> see the silhouette. I do not remember that, no. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Michael Ferguson. So uh, there was also a time when I sort of said um, the um, <laughs> where I said this this part also reminds me of the sandbaggers and it was a simple little thing. And all it was was when Teltalian's talking to the doctor and mid sentence the phone rings uh, and he goes and answers it after he's done finishing his sentence. In every time you watch T V shows or anything you know, somebody always gets a sentence out, then the doorbell rings, then the phone rings. Uh, but here, the phone rings mid-conversation, which is usually how yeah. it happens. Mm-hmm. It's natural that way. And I noticed when watching The Sandbaggers, as produced and often directed by Michael Ferguson, that constantly in scenes, 
phones are ringing and then mm-hmm. Neil Burnside walks over and picks up the phone mm-hmm. and I just thought that is so brilliant and natural I'm just wondering is that a thing that Michael Ferguson is Ferguson has just done through his whole career have phones ring at inopportune times just mm-hmm. like they really would just to sort of enhance the uh, the pace of things he's quite one of my favorite directors I knew that Mm-hmm. He's one of yours too, though. You 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 liked his, his work in Seeds of Death. Yes, I really, really, really did, and I, I think his work here is is good as well. I just this story to me feels more padded than that did, which maybe is not right, but yeah. I don't know. Well, it is it is a seven part story. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, one of our listeners pointed out that also in addition to. Um, Terrence Dix and Malcolm Hulk sort of like rewriting bits of, you know, the first couple episodes. Trevor Ray, who was Terrence Dick's script editor assistant, also was rewriting some of it. So there was a lot of work to sort of put this together. But I, I think it's holding up rather well, perhaps because I just enjoy this so much that I'm just enjoying the rattling along of the story. That was listener Chris. That was listener Chris. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, like it. At least it, with this, I feel like the scenes that feel slow and boring to me are sort of discrete chunks. Mm-hmm. So, like, like the car chase, like the 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 gunfight earlier on, mm-hmm. uh, like the running around the fuel um, place and knocking people yeah. down and and turning random wheels. <laughs> like all he, the he knew what he was doing. He knew exactly which wheel to go to i was pretty impressed i know i was i was impressed by that i was also impressed by the the fact that he knew that in order to stop the doctor what he needed to do was inject more m3 fuel as Mm. opposed to the regular fuel so it's not just he knew how to do it he knew that that was the thing that he needed to do well i think maybe taltalian probably passed it along maybe maybe you're right yeah yeah he was working for them and there's that whole sequence when taltalian got blown up which i thought was really shocking and like just quick jump cut like sort of you hear the first part of his scream and then it cuts to the next scene i thought that was quite effective too i was a little surprised though because so he's just you know you're just supposed to leave the briefcase somewhere near the doctor Mm -hmm. and walk away and in 15 minutes no doctor which makes me think it's going to be a big enough bomb that even if the doctor's wandering around whatever room he's in it's going to take him out but no it literally just blows up the person who is touching the briefcase at the mm-hmm. time like I, I feel like it was really um uh, uh not as good a bomb as we were led to expect like you really expect that somebody's not going to move in 15 <laughs> minutes more than like an inch away from this thing mm-hmm. yeah that was uh i i tilt my head at that a little bit maybe um, I, I guess Taltalian was standing between the doctor and the briefcase so i guess he took the i mean mm-hmm. the doctor did have a bandage yes. on his cheek and the, the room itself was kind of like it disheveled and things so i thought that was you know they made an effort i suppose mm-hmm. you don't want to put body parts in doctor <laughs> showing results of like people blown up throughout no, the room it's just having having the doctor somewhere other than uh, right there yeah. i think would have been would have been ideal because you know as far as Taltalian knows mm-hmm. it's going to be 15 minutes so he can basically put it anywhere you know in this room and then when it blows up it's going to blow up the doctor because he says to the doctor you'll wait for me here yeah. here you know generally means in this room that we're in not mm-hmm. like in that exact spot on the floor where you're standing yeah. that's don't move don't 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 move so I just feel like that it would have made more sense if 
you know, the doctor would have been on one, like all the way on one side of the room and Tatalian was on like all the way on the other side of the room mm-hmm. or something more like that. Because otherwise it's just poof. And it it almost to me looked like he got electrocuted and not that it exploded. Mm. Just just looking at it because, you know, some, some fire kind of spurted out of it very yeah. briefly, but it more looked like an electrocution. Bombs and their effects in Doctor Who have often had a... Um, hit and miss and inaccurate and inconsistent nature to them. Either blow up the entire planet or blow up uh, a two square foot Mm -hmm. part of a room. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I understand the limitations and like why that had happened. I just, I feel like Michael Ferguson being the excellent director that Mm -hmm. he is, I just, maybe, maybe my expectations are too high. Maybe that's all there is to it for a story with him. At the helm. That might be a scripting thing more than anything, you know. No, like I said, if they would have just staged it differently, uh. like blocked it differently, so that the doctor was, you know, the doctor, like the place that the doctor was standing, perfectly fine. Tatalian <clears throat> being kind of in the middle of the room, but even closer to that that side of the room with right. the doctor, it's a pretty big table. He could have been on the other side of the table, mm-hmm. and I would have felt better about it. But then you wouldn't have seen the doctor in behind Tatalian as he's opening yeah. up. You know, you wouldn't see his, re- you know visual things just like how actors always like sort of like talk towards the camera and someone else is behind them like how often do you like you know oh well you know i'm a listener i'm i'm seated with my back to eric at this point to prove a point you know oh you know it's that sort of thing you know like that kind of thing and then you would respond if you had a microphone but you don't um it's very rarely that's a natural course of action but it looks more interesting on on tv than two people standing and just talking at each other so it's sort of the visual equivalent of uh, like cheating out. Cheating out? Yeah, that's like when you're on stage and you're talking more towards the audience than the person that you're talking to they're on stage. Always talking to the audience in plays. That's why I don't like plays. Oh, like all that shouting in the evening. Quiet. Yeah. Anything else about these uh, these three episodes? I hope you're not hating them. No, no. I'm I'm actually I'm enjoying. I, I don't know if. I don't know why, but I've maybe it's because I had a drink <laughs> and some bourbon cherries. The, the jazzy music feels appropriate, really. Uh, yeah, um, but I I think I enjoyed episodes three, four, and five much more than I did episodes one and two, and that's surprising considering how much I generally like beginnings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I can I also mention one scene that I really enjoyed that was almost superfluous? I think the only reason for it is to show that the Doctor is now wearing uh, an astronaut outfit and is going to the capsule. But I just love how the Brigadier is supposed to go back to unit headquarters and talk to Dr. Lennox, but he had some security checks to finish up. But he takes the time to go mm-hmm. see the doctor off. And they have a nice little moment. So they're just here mm-hmm. to see you off, you know, shakes his hand and everything. And it was a nice little moment. It was a nice moment, except I couldn't enjoy it at the time because I thought uh, that maybe the brig had been sort of shuffled into that room and they were going to try once again to take out the doctor and the brig at the oh. same time. Because, you know, the one of them like asks, like, what, or maybe is the brig saying, like, what is this room for? Um, I think you're just making conversation. I know, but like, yeah. there's just to me, it was just like. Oh. <laughs> so if I ever watch this again, I will think, oh, what a nice moment. That's really cool. Uh-huh. But at the time, I was just like waiting for the other shoe to drop because I genuinely thought that there was there was something else coming there because that was like why why else would the brig be there in this room that he doesn't understand? Also, just before that, 
uh, before it cuts to that room, you hear the woman voiceover saying, you know, uh, astronaut to quarantine area. Right. It's a quarantine area, so the Briggs should not be in there. It's fine for him to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Before you get to quarantine, that's the whole point of quarantine is being closed off from the rest of the world. I think he goes to quarantine after that. Maybe, maybe he does. And maybe that really is just a waiting room, but they didn't make it clear because they say, you know, you know, astronaut to quarantine. And then the doctor walks through a door. So I think Mm -hmm. this is quarantine. Maybe it's not. It makes much more sense for the next stage to be quarantine and that to just be a waiting room. But it was, I found that part very confusing. Now I like, I feel like I want to watch it again just so I can (laughs) absorb the sweet, the niceness. Yeah. You're you're as paranoid as Cheryl Shaps there thinking that someone's going to die with it. I'm Team Cyril. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and guess what? Mm-hmm. He was right. Yes. <laughs> and the person who's going to die was himself. Was. Oh, what a what an awful way to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- maybe he gets rescued in the next episode. I'm not even looking at you because I don't want to know. But I seem to feel like Cyril Shaps never has a great end of things uh, in Doctor Who. No, poor Cyril Shaps. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention, okay, so the scene when the doctor is first in the capsule yep. and we have kind of this neat camera angle shooting like down at him mm-hmm. are we supposed to think that he's lying on his back or not right that was pre-launch so he's basically because the capsule is you know it's one of those things that's what i was afraid of yeah. because that would have been really cool if he wasn't holding a gd clipboard in his lap and not like actually holding it there there's just a clipboard nicely lying in his lap perpendicular to the ground they would like us to believe like if he would have just had it in his freaking oh. hand it would have been fine but it's very clear that the camera is just sideways for no good reason and Sorry, that's just like, there are so many things about this episode that are directed so well and you miss the giant clipboard that's just sitting there suspended in midair. I did. Oh, really? I I didn't see it. (laughs) Okay, well, we can go back and watch it if you want because it bugged the snot out of me. Sets wobbled a few times. You want to talk about those two or... No, because there's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) Sets wobble all the time. There aren't giant, like, you know... I don't even know what to call it. It's not a continuity error. It's not a plot hole. It's mm. just a dumb mistake. You know what it is? Mm. It's a Starbucks cup in Winterfell. That's but, what it was. I was going to say, if it can happen in one of the biggest budget TV series of all time, that a Starbucks cup can sit in the middle of a table <laughs> in the Great Hall in Winterfell, then John Pertwee can hold a clipboard in a multicam TV production filmed in early 1970. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That... I just want to point out that that coffee cup has already been erased from Winterfell. Well, I'm sorry. The DVD does not do that because it is a snapshot in history and we are watching it. I want my special edition Doctor Who DVD of the Ambassadors of Death with everything exactly the same except that clipboard removed. Why stop there? Why stop there? You could like, well, why don't we just tweak this thing? Why don't we throw a bunch of Jawas in Moss Eisley? Why don't we just... Go crazy and remake the whole thing. Uh, okay, you talked me into no. it. <laughs> Extra Wookiees. Ambassadors of the Death is pure and <laughs> wonderful and must be accepted as it is. Uh, fine. Is that it? I guess so. Okay. I'm afraid to say anything else now. No, it's fine. We've paused <laughs> the uh, PBR uh, at the beginning of overtime, so we don't know 
um, what the score is. And I've turned off all my notifications because we're basically watching a tape delay sporting event after this. So mm-hmm. by the time this episode will come out, because we're not going to edit it while overtime's on. No, because I don't want to be anywhere near my computer to release it. Yeah. So um, I hope you enjoyed this. We'll do another episode sometime later this week before Saturday because that's when you're recording Verity talking about this. So we'll be done Ambassadors of Death in, in a couple of days. Yeah, probably Friday night. Exciting. It is. Hope so. Sure. Any clipboards show up. Clipboards are always trouble. Just always. Yeah. Yep. There's a clipboard in Invasion of the Dinosaurs that I'll point out when we get there. Oh, boy. Actually, clipboards are nice because you can just carry them around at work and look like you're doing something. Like, you always look like you're busy. All you need is a clipboard. You just look official. Didn't we say that in an earlier episode that we saw someone with a clipboard and, oh, it's got a clipboard. I feel like that was just you and me watching TV. That could have been it. (laughs) Maybe. When do we watch TV without doing a (laughs) podcast about it? Yeah, it probably wasn't Game of Thrones. There were no. That was a really get back in there, digital editors of Game of Thrones. You missed the clipboard. That would be something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it. Let's see how the overtime goes. Uh, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.